0: If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians, we're continuing our study through these two books, two letters from Paul to this Thessalonian church that he's had to leave quickly, and um, he writes the first letter that we obviously finished up last week, and now he writes a second letter as he sent it with Timothy, and he has to write the second letter because... Um, He has to remind them of a couple of things. He tells them again how to live the Christian life. And obviously they're still confused about the second coming. They didn't get it in the first letter. And so Paul returns to the the understanding of this is what it means for Christ to come the second time. And then they also uh, begin to talk about and begin to ask the, the understanding of how do we have in some ways an unanswerable question. How are we to deal with suffering? And so this is, again, the purpose of Second Thessalonians. We're going to be looking this morning in verses one through four. Uh, but before we get there, I, I want to talk about what it means to suffer, and there's a story, and I was uh, brought to it as we went to presbytery from Brian Chapel, and he gives us a story of Hein, and Hein was a translator for Robbie Zacharias. And for those who know, uh, Robbie Zacharias is an apologist and he, he goes around the world. He's a brilliant, brilliant man, um, but he goes and he... He talks to different uh, Muslim groups, um, and he goes to different places. A lot of times, close people. So, in 1971, he was in Vietnam, and he had this interpreter who traveled with him. And his name was Hine, and so Hine was a devoted young Christian who had worked very closely as a translator with the American military forces. And he was just a civilian; there was no official or military responsibilities. He just knew English so well that he was able to, to be uh, of immense help to those in the linguistic struggles. And so he he goes around with Z- Robbie Zacharias, and then Robbie Zacharias obviously leaves, comes back to America, and he doesn't hear from Hines uh, for a number of years, and he doesn't know what happens to him. And this is the story of and I'm not going to give you the full story yet because you got to wait for the end. But I'm going to give you the, uh, the the short version of the beginning. It says shortly after Vietnam fell to the communists, Hines was arrested. And he was accused of aiding and abetting the Americans, uh, who, and so he was in and out of prison for several years. And during one long jail term, the sole purpose of his jailers was to indoctrinate him against the West, and especially against democratic ideals and the Christian faith. He was cut off from reading anything in English and restricted to communist propaganda in French or Vietnamese. This daily overdose of the writings of Marx and Engels began to take its toll on him, and one of the books he was given to read pictured the communist man as a bird in the iron-clad cage of capitalism, throwing itself against the bars of capitalist oppression and bloodletting itself in the process, yet still it continued to struggle in its quest for freedom. Hind began to buckle in the onslaught. Maybe he thought I had been lied to. Maybe God does not exist. Maybe my whole life has been governed by his lies. Maybe the West has deceived me. The more he thought, the more he moved towards a decision. And finally he made up his mind, he determined that when he awakened the next day, he would no longer pray anymore or ever think of his Christian faith again. So keep that in mind because we're going to hear the end of the story at the end of the sermon. But how would you deal with, with being in prison and beaten daily for your faith. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the church and ultimately to us. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith, for in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, this is your book. You wrote it using human people, but you by the Spirit, wrote it to encourage not just the Thessalonians, but to encourage us here in Melbourne in 2020 as well. So, Father, truly give us ears to hear and hearts to comprehend the truths that we're about to unpack this morning. May we apply it, and may we look more like our Savior today when we leave than when we arrived. For this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we begin to unpack this passage, a lot of times people look at the greeting and they just kind of go, oh, well, it's just niceties. Well, if you really look at what Paul is saying, um, we have to kind of take a, a moment and slow down and make sure that we really grasp and understand the greetings. So it's like kind of changing when you get a letter to whom it may concern. You kind of look at that letter and go, well, throw that one away. But then you can, might also have a letter that says, dear, fill in the name here. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit more, it's someone you know, but if you receive a letter that says, dearest, whatever, I want you to think of this letter from Paul to the Thessalonians in that way, it's a pastoral letter and he's breaking it down for them just how much they are loved and try to encourage them. So the first thing we're going to look at is that there has to be uh, the understanding of ministry. And this is kind of a side note, but he starts off by saying Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that ministry is a team effort. God never called any of us to be alone. In Luke chapter 10, when he sends out the 72 disciples, he sends them out two by two. He doesn't send them out as individuals. He sends them out two by two. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine says this about doing ministry together. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up again. If two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-four cord is not quickly broken. See, it's an understanding that, again, we are called to be in ministry together. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy come in, and so they're doing ministry to the Thessalonians with one voice, one spirit, one mind. And so in the midst of it, they are there as accountability people. They're there to encourage one another. And we all know this. I mean, if you go out and you're by yourself, and and we they've done studies for this for like cross country runners Uh, when they go into places where nobody the crowds don't see anymore, times drop. But when they come out and, and people can actually see them as they're running, times increase. It's the same kind of thing. A lot of times we need other people in our lives to hold us accountable, to encourage us in our walk because it's too easy when we get alone to start saying it's enough. I quit. I give up. And so Paul is saying, hey, this is a team effort that comes and it's a team effort that comes to the church. And he's not just coming to individuals. He's coming to the church. Now the word here is ekklesia. That's the Greek word. And ecclesia means the called out ones. It's not a building. It's people. And he renames them. He says, you as the people who are called out by God, you are the body of Christ of whom Jesus is the head. Now again, we start talking about in the church, uh, there's two different ways to talk about it. There is the universal church, which is the whole church everywhere. And it's all believers who are united in Christ. And so we have more in common with our brothers and sisters in Christ in China than we do with some of our people here that we live with in country. And so we have to understand that there's a universal church that God speaks of, that Paul speaks of, and we need to be aware of that, that we're just a part of because we're just a part of a local body that is made up of both everyone in the visible church. We represent Christ as part of the big picture. So again, we're not saying, hey, those people are doing City Fest, we're doing City Fest. It's an opportunity for us to come and to pray that God changes all of Brevard County. And if people come to Northside, that's great, but we want people in Bible believing churches all around the county. Because we need to be working together, not against one another. And so Paul says this, that we are to be doing ministry and he sets it up in that perspective. Then he goes to the Thessalonians and he starts making a statement from God. I want you to see, um, because uh, it, was, it was an eye-opening to me, if you looked at the first Thessalonians passage, how Paul begins that um, letter, it's different than how he talks about in the Second Thessalonians, and the difference is in one word. And that word is our God. See, in First Thessalonians chapter one, he says, "In God, the God, the God." But in 2 Thessalonians, he begins to talk to him and he says, Our God. It's our Father. And he wants them to understand what it means to say that God is our Father. And again, I know that some of you have had great earthly fathers. And you look to him and you say, Man, I'm so grateful that I've had this uh, uh, earthly father. And he taught me the truths of the scripture. He, he drew me to Christ. But there are others of you that grew up in families that weren't so great. And maybe your, heavenly, your earthly father wasn't around. Maybe he was abusive. I don't know what your earthly father was. But the reality is, is you have to look beyond your earthly father to your heavenly father. Who's perfect and good. And Paul is saying to them, Thessalonians, please understand, you don't just have the God. He's our God. And he's our father. Father. And so it's to him that we run. And he says not only is he our God, but then he says something very unique. He says we are in God. Now this is unique to Christianity to say that we're in union with God. You are connected to God himself through Christ by the Holy Spirit. You are in God. You're not just groveling before a, a, a person. Every other religion talks about having a relationship where you're outside of God. It's only Christianity that says you are in God. And we're in God through Christ. It's the scripture ready that reading that Robbie read to us. When, when Peter tries to do things in his own power, what happens? He says, Listen, this is a person that's tried to cut off the head of a, of a servant. He's done some incredible things. He's walked on water. He's seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He's done these great things. And then he says, hey, Jesus, you know what? I'm never going to deny you. I'm the greatest of the apostles here. Hey, all these other, you know, the other 11, hey, they're going to mess up. I know they're all weak. They don't love you the way I love you. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, Peter... In the less than 12 hours, you're going to deny me three times. And every one of you is going to run away. Every one of you. But I wanted to to, to have both passages read to you because he says to Peter, an incredible thing for us to never lose sight of. Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And when you figure that out and when you come back, feed my sheep. That's what he says to us. We're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we have the ability to repent and to come back. And it doesn't matter how many times we mess up. It doesn't matter how many times you mess up with the same sin. Jesus looks at us and he says, repent and come back for you're forgiven because you are in me. As we've already sung, we have the righteousness of Christ given to us. And so when the Father looks at us, he sees the Son. That's an incredible gift. And so he says, God's our Father, and we're in God, and what he gives to us is grace and peace. Now, again, these are very specific words, and grace is the free gift. It's the unmerited favor of God to the sinner. And as we receive that grace, then what we have is peace. Because peace is the result of that favor to us through Christ. And what he gives to us, he gives to us not just peace, because sometimes our English words, they don't go far enough. Because what the understanding here is, he gives us shalom. He gives us a whole change in our being, in our concept. Everything about us is at peace. It's not just peace with God. It's not just that we're not at war. It's peace where we can say, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, I know the living God. So I don't worry. I don't stress, I'm not anxious, I'm not overwhelmed, because I know the one who holds creation in his hands. So grace and peace to you, from who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's very specific that he uses the three uh, titles for Jesus here. He gives him Lord, where it's the whole word in the regards to Je- uh, Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the name. It's, it's saying that Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, he is the one who is allowed to have the name Jesus. Because there's a lot of people that have Jesus. Because it's Joshua in the Old Testament. We have, if you're Hispanic, Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of people that have the name Jesus. So what makes this Jesus unique? Because he is the one who can save. He is the one as he comes where every name shall bow. Listen, Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name, the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. If in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father jesus and he ends with the understanding of the christ because he is the messiah he is the anointed one sent from god to redeem his people so how's that for an opening to a letter and so paul says this to the thessalonian church and then he goes on and he says the first thing that he needs to do before he gets into any other part of the letter is he wants to give thanks I think that's a thing that we, we struggle with in the United States. We're good to ask. I think it's we struggle to give thanks. And yet the reality is, this is what Paul says to the Thessalonians. I'm obligated. Do you see that? I ought. I'm obligated to give thanks. It's not a choice for him. He gives thanks and he says, as is right for the Thessalonians. Because he wants them to fight discouragement. Don't give up. Because the reality, I'm giving thanks for your growing in faith and in love. See, they're growing in faith because if you have little faith, then you're apt to stumble, right? If you never, if you if you have saving faith, that's great but we're to grow in faith we're supposed to grow in our trust and our understanding of who who god is and how he ministers within our lives but if you have little faith if you only want to stay at the saving faith then you're apt when things come into your life you're apt to stumble or not only stumble you never step out in faith you always want to play it safe i mean i find myself in that as a pastor i mean remember um for those that were here just uh a little over three years ago, we started the whole process of, you know, are we gonna build this building? Well, we need to, to, to go out and we need to raise some money and get some pledges and, and uh, we started saying, Well, if we get enough pledges for three hundred thousand, then we know that God's taken us. Well then I found myself saying, Well, what if God doesn't give us three hundred thousand? What if he gives us two hundred and fifty thousand? Will we still plant will we still build the building if he gives us two hundred and fifty thousand? I mean, that's still a lot of money, but it's not 300000 What if he gives us 299999 And not 300000 would we not build it? Or would someone step up and give $1 round it up? Then I started saying, well, what if God gives us $200,000? I started trying to say, well, God, if you can't reach the $300,000 mark, can you do $200,000? Just trying to play it safe. Trying to make sure God could get off was something easier and at the end of the day God had raised over 500,000 and says Jeff you're an idiot grow in your faith trust me Jeff that this is my church it's not our church it's his church it's his building he can do with it what he wants But he tells us, step out, live by faith, not by sight, because sight's deceiving. We play it safe, and when we play it safe, God's not necessarily glorified. We want it to be his story, his vision, his church, his kingdom. And so he says, quit living in little faith. And Paul's able to say to them, you're growing in faith. You're like a tree whose roots go to the living water. And you're growing in head and heart. You're you're studying the word. You're you're praying. You're in fellowship. And here's what it says in Isaiah. And this is something to memorize. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed for the thing for which I sent it. See, sometimes I think we get caught up and we get scared of going out and telling people and evangelizing and stuff like that. And that's that's a lie from Satan. We need to be bold to go out and tell people because they need the hope that we have. But what if they're mean, pastor? Who cares? These are eternal things. And just preach God's word to those around you. Have your faith grow. And as it continues to grow, he says, not only is your faith growing, but so is your love. And so we have this understanding that, again, um, sometimes love grows cold and it grows bitter. We we had the privilege, um, we got to take one of our daughters up to Savannah this past weekend. And as we're coming back, we said, let's stop and see Harold Isbell in Daytona. And so we stopped and we got to talk to him. And it was just a, it was a great trip. Um, he was so encouraging. But he was talking about, um, he, he's in this, uh, a military retirement home, in essence. And so as he's there, he's talking about um, all these people who are so bitter and angry. And they're sitting in their, their wheelchairs alone, they're in their rooms alone. And, and Harold's become, he, he's become a celebrity there. Everybody knows him. He talks to everybody, and I remember the, the little story that he said. He says, I, I had a harmonica that my mom gave to me when I was six years old. He's 92 now. Um, when he, she, she, I was six years old, she gave me the harmonica. And so I just pull it out every once in a while and I start to play. And the people start to dance. And he says, Jeff, people are starting to come and they're, they're, they're talking to me and they're telling me their problems. Why are they doing that, Jeff? And I said, because, Harold, you give them something that they're looking for. They're wanting you to forgive them. And you can't, but you can tell them who can. And he's just like, this is my home, Jeff. This is what God has called me to at 92. And he's growing. Your life is not over. There is no old age in Christ. Christ. There is no retirement in Christ. You are called to continue to grow in faith and grow in your love. Look at the people around you and see who are overlooked or forgotten. And they've been willing to give sacrificial love. Who can you encourage? If you're looking me to encourage everyone in this church, I'm going to miss it. I even put a note, there's um, someone in here uh, uh, that I was supposed to go and, and talk to, and I said, hey, I'm going to call you this week, and I didn't. I even put them in my notes on my phone, and everything like that, and I'm, I'm just like, oh, I blew it. But God doesn't. Ask, who do you want me to encourage? Who are you reaching out to that's hurting? Who are you speaking up in your prayers? Who are you praying for? Listen to Proverbs 12, 25 anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad that's what harold's doing at the age of 92 in a retirement home for military personnel he's one of six people who are still left from world war ii and he's ministering to people young people nurses everyone that sees him knows there's something different Would people, when they see you, would they know that something is different? Do you glorify and honor God? Do you continue to grow in faith and love as you have opportunity? So we have this opportunity to grow in faith and love. And then he says to them, it's to the glory of God. And I want you to catch that. It's not, hey, I don't, he says, he's not glorying. He's not boasting in them because of what they've done. He says, I boast in you, in the Lord. Because he knows it's God who is who is going through them, and is working through him. So it's it's not our sinful pride that he's boasting in. What he's boasting in is what we see in Jeremiah ten, verses twenty-three through twenty-four. And it's a good thing I marked this one because I can't see. <laughs> Getting old. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows God. That he is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And that's what Paul is boasting in for them. He's like, I see you growing. I see your works. I see it. And you're doing it in the Lord. You're not doing it in your own power. You're doing it in the Lord. So we give glory and honor. and We give all thanks to God. Our lives should be God-centered. He tells them in this passage, even at the last part, even in the midst of suffering and affliction. See, the reality is God is still at work, even in the midst of our suffering and so in the midst of that suffering, may we understand what it means to have steadfast faith. So here's where we go back to Hein. So Hein again, has been in prison for a number of years. He's been beaten, he's been indoctrinated. And so on the day that he decides that he's not going to pray, this is what it says. He was assigned to clean the latrines of the prison. It was the most dreaded chore shunned by everyone And so with much distress, he began the awful task. As he cleaned out a tin cup filled to overflowing with toilet paper, his eye caught what he thought was English printed on one piece of paper. He hurriedly washed it off and slipped it into his hip pocket, planning to read it at night. Not having seen anything in English for such a long time, he anxiously waited for a free moment. Under the mosquito net that night, after his roommates had fallen asleep, he pulled out a small flashlight, and shining on the damp piece of paper, he read at the top corner, Romans chapter 8. Literally trembling with shock, he began to read. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble our hardship, or persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hind wept. He knew his Bible, but he had not seen one for so long. Not only that, he knew there was not a more revelant passage of conviction and strength for one on the verge of surrendering to the onslaughts of evil. He cried out to God, asking for forgiveness, for this was the first day in which he had determined not to pray. Evidently, the Lord had other plans. The next day, Hine asked the camp commander if he could clean the latrine again. And he continued with his chore on a regular basis because he had discovered that some official in the camp was using a Bible as toilet paper. Each day, Hine picked up a portion of scripture, cleaned it off, and added it to his nightly devotional reading. In this way, over the years, he retrieved a significant portion of the Bible. Then the day came when, through an equally providential set of circumstances, Hine was released from prison, and he promptly began to make plans to escape from the country. After several unsuccessful attempts, he began again to build a boat in secret And 53 other people planned to escape with him, but he was taking the lead. All was going according to plan until a short time before the date of their departure when four Viet Cong knocked on his door. And when he opened it, they accosted him and said that they heard that he was trying to escape. Is it true, they demanded. Hine immediately denied it and went on to distract them with some concocted story to explain his activities. Apparently convinced, they reluctantly left After they left, though, Hein was relieved but very disappointed with himself. Here I go again, Lord, trying to manipulate my own destiny, too unteachable in my spirit to really believe that you can lead me past any obstacle. And so he made a promise to God, fervently hoping that the Lord would not take him up on it, but he prayed that if the Viet Cong were to come back, he would tell them the truth. Resting in the comfort of that impossibility, he was thoroughly shaken when only a few hours before they were set sail, the four men stood at the door once more. We have our sources and we know that you're trying to escape. Is it true? Hein resigned, giving the answer. Yes, I am with 53 other people. Are you going to imprison me again? There was a pronounced pause and then they leaned forward and whispered, no, we want to escape with you. In an utterly incredible escape plan, all 58 of them found themselves on the high seas, suddenly engulfed by a violent storm. Hind fell with his face in his hands, crying out to God, did you bring us here to die? And as he concluded his story, he said, brother Ravi, these four Viet Cong were all fishermen who were quite skilled at handling a boat. And if it were not for their sailing ability, we would have all had drowned. They arrived safely in Thailand. And years later, on American soil, he's a businessman. (laughs) Forever grateful, but incredibly thankful to his God. Be encouraged, Northside. For you are in God, and he's your father. He loves you so very much. Amen. Let's pray. Father, the good news of this gospel message never gets old. And Lord, we're honest because we struggle we forget that you're our dad we look with human eyes at our circumstances and afflictions but thank you that you never leave us or forsake us whether in death or life good times or bad we're never alone so father father so grateful for your grace and peace to us heavenly father we pray that we would grow grow in our faith in you and love for those around us we know you're faithful so help us to be faithful too we pray all of this in the name of your son jesus christ and in the power of the holy spirit